I think we're live. I just got a nice notification. Hi, Bobby. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Okay. Uh, I think we are finally live on Facebook. I apologize to everybody. We're about, we're running about 15 minutes behind. We've had multiple technical issues, which keeps happening. That's okay. We're here to be patient and roll with it. So my name is Jasmine Sandler. I am the producer and host of Warrior Women in Business, the podcast as well as the event series, which Bobby and I are going to talk about today. Um, I am also a keynote speaker on social branding for women. I've been doing a long time, and I'm, I'm really, really thrilled to have Bobby Carlton on today. Um, it's, a, it's actually a very crucial topic, what we're going to talk about today from most of my community and definitely Bobby's community of speakers, event producers, event planners. We're going to talk about what you can do to survive in the, in the COVID crisis right now to get through it, beyond it, and thrive. And um, for those of you that aren't familiar with Warrior Women in Business, uh, Warrior Women in Business is a brand of JS Media, which is my company, which is a digital marketing and branding agency here in New York City. And what the brand is all about is our mission is to help women in business, primarily female entrepreneurs, get the mentorship that they need um, in, a, in a kind of a community basis and connect women together to really strengthen their businesses in an authentic way. Um, so this is kind of how Bobby and I actually met. And we've been talking a long time about doing things together. And this is our first initiative together, uh, the podcast. And um, I'm originally from Boston. So I, I'm jealous that my friend here, Bobby's in my hometown. Um, <laughs> but um, we, so we have been planning together an event which is, for those of you that know about Warrior Women in Business, every year I run a conference for women called Brand You. So we've been planning this event called a mini Brand You. Now we're on our third try because of this crisis. Um, but the event will be happening. It, um, right now we have it rescheduled for May 25. Uh, it may have to be moved out. <laughs> but we hope not here in New York City at the People's Improv Theater. So with all that being said, I wanted to just give a literally such a short bio on Bobby because this is going to be a conversation on the topic of, of helping female speakers and event people uh, thrive and survive in this crisis. So um, Bobby, thank you so much for, first of all, dealing with the technical difficulties we've had for <laughs> the last 15 minutes, driving me insane and being on today. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, I just want to give a, a quick uh, bio. So I find that Bobby and I actually have a lot in common. We're like two warrior women. Uh, I love it. Um, so Bobby is, is certainly a leader in helping women. She um, has she is the founder of Innovation Women, which is an online a speaker bureau for women. She's going to definitely talk more about that. She also runs in Innovation Nights, correct? Um, yep. Which is your event series. And she also runs a, uh, a PR and marketing agency in uh, Boston, and she has clients everywhere. In fact, Bobby was the first person that I talked about, talked to uh, when this, this whole COVID-19 thing, unfortunately, started happening because her agency was dealing with a, a major client in major news. So she's been involved with what's going on from the forefront. Um, so anyway, I'm thrilled you're here. And I guess I wanted to start by asking you a little bit about um, what what led you to your your mission and kind of drive and what you're doing now in helping women and primarily female speakers. 
talk about that for a minute if you can. Sure. So um, I've worked in high-tech PR for almost 35 years. And uh, during that time frame, part of my job was always to get other people on stage. So I worked inside major enterprise software companies, and I was doing speaker placement really as part of the, the job that I did every day. And about 12 years ago, the startup that I was working with ran out of money and all of a sudden I was doing my own thing. So I have the, the day job, which is Carlton PR marketing. I have the night job, which is innovation nights. And then over time, as innovation nights was growing, I would get invited to more and more events and I would sit in the audience and I would look at what I call the all male, all pale, and all stale panels. <laughs> I love it. You know, you end up with these four white guys who seem to be always the same four white guys on a panel. And I would go, ah, oh, there's got to be something I can do about this. And quickly realized that uh, speaker placement, particularly finding female speakers, could be a full-time job. So I had to figure out a way to create a platform which would allow event managers and speakers to get together and connect. So thus Innovation Women was born. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that too as a speaker myself. And uh, I've seen, I mean, started kind of the impetus of Warrior Women in Business was that I, I started to see more and more women coming to my keynotes and more and more women wanting to be on panels. And I think that, you know, obviously you are a hero in, the, in that world. and. It's something that's been in dire need, and, and I think it parallels with the the explosion of female entrepreneurship in general. Um, so I'd like you to talk a little bit right now, a little bit more about Innovation Women for just a second. Um, so how long have you been running that, and how have you seen it change in terms of the audience? Like, what have, um, how have those women changed? Yeah, I mean, I started Innovation Women uh, as a crowdfunding project. And I crowdfunded enough money to buy myself a developer, and we launched Innovation Women in 2015. So it's been almost five years. Uh, we've placed over a thousand speakers that we know of, and we often don't know when we've placed somebody because the timelines are often pretty extensive. And so somebody will find an Innovation Women speaker and then, oh, they find them on LinkedIn. And so they invite them. And I'm like, right. you know, we made that initial connection. I want the credit. I get uh, it. <laughs> I get it, Bobby. Yeah. So uh, Innovation Women has been running for, it'll be almost five years in May. Well, congratulations. Thanks. It's not easy work. Um, so let's talk about, you know, what's happening right now, the world in a crisis. You know, this morning I went outside with my mask, glasses, a hat, uh, rubbing alcohol, Lysol. I mean, it's just crazy for everybody. But I'm like literally, so right now I'm in the crux of it. I live about, I'm staying right now about 1,500 feet from Elmhurst Hospital. I had to leave my house um, because there might be someone sick there. It's just, it's crazy right now and we're all trying to stay sane and i think you know this online communication is helping us but man a lot of speakers are reaching out to me because i work with speakers as clients and event people and like hey you know what are you doing that we could do so talk a little bit about with the world in a crisis how can speakers and event planners keep moving forward yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of the same thing. We're seeing a lot of our speakers going, I've been canceled, I've been postponed, you know, it's going to go virtual. So there's a lot of different things that event managers are doing. I mean, some have just been outright shutting down and sending people home, and that's the end of it. Yeah. A lot of event managers as well are saying, okay, you know, I'm going to 
shift things out a little bit and then a little bit and then a little bit. And then there's another group that's like, all right, you know, we're just going to look at the fall because there's nothing going on in my fall. I don't know about you. No, Uh, (laughs) No, nothing at all. Nothing at all. It's only the busiest conference season, period. Yep. Well, now it's going to be twice as busy because everything that's happened in March and April is moving to September and October. Um, But we're also seeing a lot of people who are going virtual. So there are lots of folks that are saying, all right, you know, I'm going to take the panel that you were going to be moderating. I'm going to take the conference and I'm going to put it on Zoom. We're seeing the rise of a number of different platforms. Um, I looked at uh, Hey Summit. I've looked at Remo. Um, Introvoke is doing a bunch of stuff. So, you know, there's a bunch of new platforms coming along. And I think everybody's becoming an expert in Zoom these days. <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah. And we also, we're an Office 365 shop. And so uh, Microsoft Teams is another platform. I heard that they added a Slack's worth of users. So oh. in other words, the number of people who have joined Microsoft in one month equal all of the people who use Slack. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's uh, that is crazy talk. You, you know, know, numbers. Yeah. Yeah. No, the other thing I was just going to quickly add, um, you know, Facebook at work is something I covered way back when as a LinkedIn writer. No. And now it's, <laughs> it's, it's a bad time in the world, but I'm seeing that that is becoming more used and that people weren't even using it. So yeah, it's, um, you have to kind of see what's out there in terms of the tools. Was there anything else you want to add in terms of tools? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think there's a lot of great options for tools, but I think it really does come down to, you know, we have this great batch of speakers and the speakers are usually people who are used to performing. They have great content and they are prime to be going virtual. So if you are practiced as a speaker, if you have great content, if you have great stuff to share, you're ready to go. You know, it's just a, a different tool, a different stage. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. So as a someone that does social branding, and I usually walk my clients through, in fact, I have a client um, right now, uh, Tuxie Luxie, I'm going to give her a shout out because it's a, it's for those of you that are pet lovers. So it's a, um, it's a luxury pet clothing brand. Anyway, the long and the short of it is uh, we're going for some secondary funding. And I said to her, you know, let's do a, let's do a video because we can't go in there and do the pitch. We have to create a video. And she's like, well, how do we do that? And it, you know, I'm so used to working with people that you have to get used to creating bits of content for social media. This is what we've been doing forever. So for speakers, I think it's just something that they need to think about. Like when you're out there and you're giving a keynote, how is that so much different in front of talking in front of the camera? What pieces of content can you use to make yourself shine as a speaker. It's like those little signature pieces, right? So I I really, really agree with you. Um, So let's let's flip the flip the switch a little bit um, in in terms of talking more about events, event producers, event planners, um, because I know we're we're both on both sides and event planners, event producers, conference planners, they're losing a boatload of money. Right now. I mean, I actually think that they're more in dire straits because that is their livelihood. Most of the speakers I deal with, I'm a speaker, it might represent 30 to 40% of our revenues, whereas these other folks, it's 100%. So talk about like 
what can event planners, just some tips, event planners, event producers, conference planners, you mentioned some are just, bless you, bless you. That's okay. Shelving them, you know, some are moving them out. Any tips for those folks? Because I think they're the ones that are the most worried right now. Yeah. And I'm seeing a lot of event planners and also the support staff. So everything from hotels and airports and such, you know, they're, they're running. Uh, I don't even know how some of them are running right now, but there's, they're laying people off. They're sending people home. Uh, when kind of the first uh, COVID-19 crisis started to hit the U.S., I was talking to somebody who was at an event in, I think it was Las Vegas, and she was saying that while she was going through the hotel lobby, um, an event organizer was having a team meeting in the lobby and basically laying off the entire team. And I was uh, like, oh, oh, ouch. ouch. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think the, you know, the, the people who can are going virtual, you know, either that or they are moving things out to the fall. You know, there's the virtual or the delay. There is literally not a single event that I have seen that is actually happening anywhere right now. Yeah. You know, it's also something that I think it's just for me, I think it, it might be a positive way to look at this for people in events, because I deal with a lot of them, both in my professional life and in my personal life as a musician. So I'm dealing with event people everywhere in my life right now. And what I found on both sides, on the professional and the personal side, is a lot of them are now looking into their other kind of maybe even soft skills and how they can utilize those skills in other businesses. You know, I mean, if you think about an event producer or event planner, or even some of the support people, they have inherent skills that can work in other capacities, right? And I think opportunities right now on for freelancers is, is just crazy right now. So I my recommendation for people in events is kind of look at other skills that you might be able to utilize for other businesses. Um, to pick up projects here and there, like you said, I mean, Geez, I mean, people coming up and putting together virtual events right there, creating content, editing content, doing graphic design. It's a lot of work and people need help. Yeah, so I and I think you're seeing a lot of the marketing staff, you know, they're good communicators. They have excellent video skills. These are oh, yeah. all things that they can be doing, you know, while they're at home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as far as um, it's a little... I wanted to get back in touch with you about what happened when we first connected with COVID, you know, so you, could you, do you mind sharing that story a little bit with our audience in terms of how you got roped into that, that PR assignment, which to me yeah. seemed a little bit crazy, what it was all about, what was the outcome? And most importantly, I think if there's anything you can share as an insider in terms of what the media is seeing with COVID, you know, so can you talk yeah. a little bit. So to take a step back, um, what happened was a, a former coworker of mine about 20 years ago, I was the head of global PR uh, at a large enterprise software company. And one of my coworkers at the time, literally like, a, uh, now I guess we're now talking about a month and a half ago, the beginning of February, reached out and said, are you still doing PR? Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, are, are, do you still do crisis PR? Yes. What is happening? Uh, and he said, my parents are on board the Diamond Princess. And it had just hit the news that there was a cruise ship uh, docked at Yokohama Harbor in Japan. 
and yeah. that had people who were being quarantined on board. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, you know, what's the assignment? And he said, the assignment is to make enough noise that the U.S. government comes and takes off the Americans and basically brings my parents home. Oh, wow. We do not feel that the quarantine on board this ship is safe. Um, and I tend to agree with them. Uh, what we had was passengers who were being restricted to their cabins. And we had crew members who, by the way, were also potentially infected, who were delivering meals, delivering anything, you know, medicines, whatever, to the passengers who were in the cabins. Number one, not fair to the crew members. Number two, they were also potentially infected. And, you know, there was very little known about COVID at the time. Actually, when I started the project, it didn't yet have a name. Wow. So it was still the coronavirus or the um, the novel coronavirus. And I think one of the things that was interesting to me about this whole project was the level of interest from the major media around the world. Even though the ship was docked in Yokohama Harbor, even though there were 400 Americans on board, there were over 3,200 people on board overall you had um oh, gosh yeah so you had people from all over the world all different nationalities and we were immediately on with everybody from you know bbc to cnn um wall street journal new york times washington post and it was our feeling that we could make enough noise and get enough attention for what was happening overseas because as americans we sometimes don't pay attention to what's happening overseas. Yes, true, isn't it? <laughs> yep. And so uh, we got them on everything. I mean, I have—I don't think I've done that much major media in decades. Um, so in a matter of a few weeks, we had enough attention. The U.S. government did send two cargo planes retrofitted to bring passengers home, brought home about 300 people. And they were then quarantined at Air Force bases, one in California and one in Texas. So our, our clients went through almost an entire quarantine in Japan and then another quarantine here in the U.S. Well, so are they okay now? They are okay. Um, they did not end up testing positive. They were tested multiple times. Wow. And uh, they did not test positive and they ended up going home and they are now like the rest of us at home uh, in Florida, so. Oh, okay, that's good news. So um, anything that you learned about how the media is reacting and w what do you personally think about how the media is telling the story now? Um, you know, it was interesting. At the time, we were all figuring it out together and there was a very large amount of collaboration, I would say, you know, everybody would bring to the table. This is what we know. This is what you know. Okay. Now we have a little bit of information. Um, we were, we, we created a, um, a storehouse of photos of video of, um, every day we were putting out a different statement with, this is what we've heard. We had audio recordings from the ship's captain. 
Um, and then we would also talk to the reporters and they would say, you know, we just heard today from the Japanese Ministry of Health and they're saying, you know, 66 people have tested positive. And how many did you hear? Well, we heard 65. We, you know, why is there a different number? So, you know, there was a lot of collaboration that was going on. And I think the media, just like us, was trying to figure it out on the fly yeah. and moving very, very quickly with a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's inter uh, interesting, right? Because so for me, I was in New York at 9-11, at 9-11, yeah. I mean, at the building. <laughs> and then I'm here now. <laughs> Why well, I'm still in New York, I don't know. But anyway, so um, whatever. So it's a, a city that sucks you in. But anyway, so um, I like, it's interesting that you talked about the global nature of things. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we're all going to take away from this is being is listening to more to what's happening around the world. And I actually think personally, it's great that all the scientists and the doctors from around the world are starting to listen to each other, starting to come together because they have to. And, and now, it's, now it's about, at least my perspective on watching everything as an observer, and now it's about how can we embrace other cultures in a way that we can learn from them, right? Like in Japan, you know, um, so I was watching something the other night where they were talking about how um, COVID kind of has really been tailing off rather quickly there because of the culture, because they're not, you know, they, they always practice this social distancing, right? So it's, it's kind of- um, Having been squished on a bullet train at one point, I don't know about yeah. that, but- <laughs> Yeah, well, anyways, wherever this was in Japan that I was watching, it was actually a really cool episode. But um, my, my point is, you know, I think we're learning globally and, all these crises we seem to take away and we seem to get closer as a, as a race, you know? So, um, so I think that's important. And I, I think it's important personally also in business, you know, I mean, we might all be speakers, but it doesn't mean that we need to compete. And, and I think that's what warrior women in business. That's why one of the reasons I started, I was like sick and tired of seeing women compete, compete, compete. I think that we need to collaborate. <laughs> um, yeah. So talk about a little bit about collaboration between women. What do you think women can do to collaborate and uh, achieve things in terms of projects? What have you seen at Innovation Women? Yeah, I actually, the collaboration aspect of this is really interesting because I've seen a number of people basically bringing different speakers together. So, you know, we can all go out there and create our little Zoom thing and, you know, do the, do the thing. But <laughs> when there is a summit and there's a speaker and another speaker and another speaker and another speaker and everybody's talking about either, you know, um, the same theme or different aspects of the same story, it, it develops a weight. It develops um, a, a seriousness and it gets you more attention. Um, I always look at how I developed innovation nights. Innovation nights, I call it crowd promoting. Mm -hmm. And what we've done there is we bring together 10 companies every month and together they create an event. And there's voting on our website and all of the companies are running around telling their friends, go vote for me, go vote for me, go vote for me. But what they're really doing is they're pr they're promoting the event as a whole. And while my best friend might not be a potential good customer customer for me, they could be a customer for one of the other nine products. Right. 
So, you know, if each company brings 10 people to an, a live event or brings 10 people to a website together, there's a hundred people on the website. And it's like, ah, all right. You know, so, you know, if you think about how we can work together, how we can create online summits, how we can create online events as a group, yes. it's much more interesting. You know, we can all have our own little speaker websites, but Innovation Women has 1,700 women speakers on it. And so okay. then it becomes a source, a place that people go to to find female speakers. And it might not be your turn today, but it's going to be your turn tomorrow or the day after. I love it. I mean, so when I did the brand you, that was the intention to bring speakers all different, even though the subject is branding, such a huge subject in itself. And I am not, I'm one person. And I always say that I'm always looking for other women always to connect with and grow, whether it supports my business, your business. At the end, who cares? We're strengthening women. We're strengthening our businesses. We're learning from each other. And so, you know, with Brand You, I think I don't know how many speakers I had, maybe 10. I can't remember the last one, but, you know, I'm looking to kind of broaden that. Um, so, you know, I think that that is super important that we think about that collaboration, the broadening. Um I want to ask you a question that I, I hadn't really prepared, but just came to me. Um, so as a speaker, and I'm in your bureau, and a lot of my female speakers, I want them all go to Bobby. But um, so, you know, as a speaker, I had uh, my former assistant. Oh, my God. I mean, I don't even know how many speaker bureaus I've talked to. It's ridiculous. Some of them are just impossible. They want me to, they want like Hillary Clinton, you know. So it's like. <laughs> Not me, not yet. Um, but um, so for the speakers out there, can you talk about the different speaker bureaus, how yours is different, what you yeah. bring to the table? I mean, we're not like a traditional speakers bureau. So a traditional speakers bureau, number one, they only want speakers who get paid to speak. They don't want people who are speaking primarily for visibility for themselves and their companies. So there are a lot of speakers who are, looking at speaking as a way to grow their career, or they're looking at speaking as a way to drive leads and connect with potential customers. So yes, it'd be lovely to get paid. I think we'd all love to get paid to speak. But if you're going to speak at an industry conference or an event, you're likely not going to get paid. The way the event manager looks at it as, I just assembled a crowd full of your potential customers. You want me to pay you too? So, so those types of speaking opportunities are not going to ever be of interest to a, um, a traditional speakers bureau. You know, yeah. they only want the ones, they only want the speaking opportunities where a speaker gets paid. And on the, on the other side, they only want the speakers who are already getting paid. Right. And so, you know, if you're already getting paid to speak and you've got a nice steady income coming in from getting speaking engagements, well, then do you need a traditional speakers bureau? Because you're already getting paid. But an event, you know, a, a conference uh, organizer, 50% of conference organizers have zero budget for speakers. It's just not even in their business model. Wow, that's an important stat to know. <laughs> yeah. And 42%, okay, this is on top of the 50%, only pay some speakers. They have Absolutely. money for keynotes, or they might have some travel money, yeah. or they might have some money for maybe a featured speaker, but they're not going to pay everybody. 
and they have a small amount of money just for you know the name brand the as you said the hillary clinton's you know yeah. that paid a quarter of a million dollars right and an event and a a uh, traditional speakers bureau makes money off a percentage of the speaker fee so they're going to get 20 30 40 percent of your speaker fee and for that, they are doing things like their scheduling, they're doing all of the work around the negotiations, but mostly they have a book of speakers. They attract people who do pay speakers and those types of opportunities are the only thing they do. They are not doing all of these industry conferences that are not paying anybody. Right. And they're not doing like all of these opportunities that could get you in front of potential customers if that's what you're doing. That's why you're doing speaking engagements. You know, I don't know if you know it, but there are half a million meetups that happen every single month. Like, okay, maybe not right now, but you know, <laughs> well, half half a million meetups. Oh my God, those are great opportunities. It's an interesting time for meetup. Uh, yeah. I just have to interject just half of a second. Um, so meetup, yes, I run a few meetups. And um, you know, meetups are fantastic, but meetup, you know, was owned by WeWork and they just sold it yeah, off. Yeah, they basically pulled them out. Yeah. They threw them out. So I, I saw that and I'm following that like crazy because I think that's changing and what's changing now. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, I no. Was, it's, yeah, uh, yes. it's important. Yeah. And uh, Meetup, you know, is an incredible organization and they have their tools like that, Meetup, Eventbrite, that have made it possible for non-professional event managers to run events, to sell tickets, to create a community. And those communities need entertainment. They need content. Where are they looking? They're looking at speakers, but they are never ever going to go to a traditional speakers bureau to get that. That's right. And I, I got to say um, just a little bit about um, my clients and, and what I do as a speaker, um, because it might be, it might help some of the other speakers out there. So, you know, I, you know, although I'm a keynote speaker, most of my work as a speaker is as a trainer. So I've been a trainer for 15 years. And um, so when I look at speaking engagements, I look at them in a few different ways. And I also teach my clients about this because they think, well, I'm going to make $20,000 for this. And I'm like, well, um, maybe not. I mean, it doesn't even matter. I've written three <laughs> books. My books make five cents. I don't even care about that. And I tell them, don't worry about that because like you said, they need to be thinking bigger. Okay. You're a speaker. Maybe you don't have a brand yet and you're not in a traditional speaker bureau, but there's lots of ways you can use it to make money. Meaning do you have um, a presentation that is a workshop? Because that has more value. I have definitely seen that as a trainer. Um, are there things like we're talking about right now that you could use as online training that you could run as like a telecourse or something, you know? Um, these are certainly ways to think about it. The other way is, um, you know, I'm a speaker for all these member associations. They might pay me whatever, 500 bucks. I don't care just to get there. And then I get to go to a new city, which I'm excited about. Um, <laughs> it's always fun for me. But um, is you know those folks you know if you're if you're intentional about your audience and you know your audience that has the highest value you might just take that $500 knowing you're going to get in front of 20 CEOs so, so that's that's the way I roll and I've been running my business for 15 years so I do kind of know what I'm talking about but these are ways that you can think about these opportunities like Bobby's saying here as opposed to, it's not going to be a home run. We wish it was a home run. Then all we would do is speak and do nothing else, and it would be great. But 
you got to be, you have to be creative and flexible. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that for some of your speakers. Yeah. I actually usually ask people the question, are you a speaker or are you a consultant or are you a facilitator? Are you a trainer? Because you might actually make more money as one of those other um, uh, titles than you would as a speaker. Because people often don't have budget for speaker, but, oh, yeah, we got a ton of budget for education. I know. <laughs> like, right. oh, you know, if you're a trainer, oh, yeah, you're going to make a whole bunch more money. Yeah, so, you it's know, like that's, oh. that's a big question I actually get from my speaker. And I also work with a whole bunch of authors, which is a whole other thing um, that they continually ask. They want to know who's the right title for them to focus on. And um, mm -hmm. so can you talk about the difference? between a meeting planner, somebody at corporate that's in education and training, like the types of titles you deal with and what people should know. Yeah. I mean, we generally call people event planners or event managers as a catch-all. And the catch-all could be including anything from corporate management to somebody who is running an ERG or an, enter or an employee resource group. And the employee resource group people you know, it's funny. It's like, they've got a whole extra job that they're doing. And part of that extra job is to every month provide enrichment for the employees. You know, they might be off in HR, they might be in sales and all of a sudden, you know, they're responsible for planning a meeting for, you know, all of the women in tech in their group or all of the finance group or, you know, whatever that employee resource group is focused around. Mm. And so, you know, this is not something that is easy for them because it's not their day in, day out job. They're doing an extra whole job. So the easier we can make it for them to find speakers, to find trainers, to, you know, pr put together a program where they have people. Uh, last year at the mass conference for women, I was talking to one woman and she's like, yeah, every year we come to the mass conference for women and we go back to the office and we say, how can we keep this great feeling going? Well, we're going to get our women in tech group together and we're going to meet. And she goes, usually we meet two or three times and then we forget about it. And so yeah. next year when we start it up again, and she said, oh, Innovation Women makes it so easy for me to book a speaker have them come in, have them do a program. She's like, I can see this as making it easy for me to continue the program that we, we kind of run out of steam on every year. Oh, I love it. You know, cause one thing that bothers me as a trainer, most of my training is uh, to executive groups. So I do social media strategies for executive groups, primarily B2B because my background's IBM. But anyway, but the thing that bothers me as a trainer and something that I've been trying to resolve in my own way is, you know, you go in and they say, well, it's always the same thing with these huge companies, right? And they're generally in finance. Oh, well, we have an a social media initiative, you know, and it's once a year and we're going to have you come in and you're going to train all our executives. And then, you know, I do it. I do a three-step process pre-strategy, pre training, and then follow-up and assessment, right? But they never really take advantage of the follow-up and assessment. Right. And they also then don't continue like the training and speaking. So um, do, you, do you work with um, event planners inside of corporate to help them to create programs or is it more reactive? Yeah, I mean, we work with people inside organizations who are putting together programs and or speaker series 
So, you know, yes, a lot of times it's the ERGs, but it might also be HR where they're trying to get people trained. A lot of times we're working with the public relations people or the marketing people or the sales people. So there are a bunch of different groups inside organizations that are looking for speakers. They're looking for a series, but there's also like so many other different groups. Um, for example, universities. Oh, you know, you start looking at the speaker series they have there. You know, it, there's a big and vast difference between a sponsored speaker series at a university, the speaker series that is run by, say, the organization of student um, events, or a I'm going to be a professor and I'm going to have a guest lecturer come into my classroom. Right. Yeah. So very, very different in terms of who gets paid and who doesn't get paid. A sponsored speaker series inside a corporation is probably bringing in speakers who get paid, whereas the professor and the guest lecturer, yeah, it's the buddy and they're not going to be charging you anything. And maybe they're, you know, taking you out to lunch. <laughs> yeah, that's that's certainly true. I like that you touched on uh, universities. So I think that's um, in I've done a lot, you know, quite a bit of speaking at universities and it's generally um, part of some again, initiative, right? So how can speakers tap, like, how can they, because if they're utilizing you as their bureau, um, what can they do to prepare their, I don't know, their content or them as a speaker mm -hmm. for the, because the university track, I think is very, I do both, but some folks, some of my clients only focus on universities and some only focus on corporate. So if you're corporate and you say, hey, you know what, I want to teach at a university or I want to speak there. What are some tips that you can give those speakers? I mean, frankly, a lot of times it's find a way to speak at an, a particular university or college and make sure that that example gets into your one sheet you know, or gets into your sales. Yeah. It's like, oh, I spoke at Harvard. Boom. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> fairly, fairly easy. Yeah. Provide um, an example. Anytime you want to do something, you've got to find one and provide it as an example. Yeah, that is true. Well, that's like a, a, a case study, right? Yeah. Event managers are killing me on a daily basis. It's like they look at a, a speaker profile on our site and they're like, I need to see a video. And I'm like, I know you do. And they Let's don't actually, on. yeah, that, well, they don't care really actually how, how much of a video it is. They just want to see the speaker in action. You don't have to have for these um, conferences and events, you don't have to have the fancy sizzle reel. You oh. just have to have a presentation that you have given that they can watch, that you're giving your presentation. Most of yeah. the time, they just want to make sure that you're not going to come in and try and sell something from the stage. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's also a very important tip for speakers because there might be some folks on here that are aspiring speakers. And I mm -hmm. can tell you right now, when I, pre when I present a speaker that's a client or I speak, I mean, the first thing I say, no selling, you know, yeah. just that's important for you to know. Uh, you know, that you are there to educate, right? Well, so. and there are different types of speakers. There are people... Yeah who are what we call direct sellers. And that is actually a particular kind of event and a particular oh. kind of speakers. There are whole conferences, which are one after another of people oh. who are selling their book, who are selling their workshop, who are selling their methodology. Right. And, you know, it's like, 
every single one of them is selling something and the organizers have put together an audience where the audience is there to buy the thing, whatever. Right. The that's a really good point. I forgot about all those gazillions yeah. of like, that's actually a great point. And also that's an interesting point for people that are, there might be speakers that are better at naturally selling. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about speakers that can become spokespeople. That's another thing. That's another job, right? It's another career path that a speaker can go down is speaking on behalf of other companies. Have you seen yeah. that? Yeah. Um, I have a actually a, a friend of mine who um, was a spokesperson for the travel industry. And she had a business where she focused on family travel and she was often hired by different companies to be a spokesperson. And she had a business where she would appear on say the today show or good morning America. And she would bring in a whole bunch of different travel products. And yeah. you know that was her business. And she had credibility for other reasons. So she had a whole family travel website and that was her business. Yeah, I love it. So let's let's switch a little bit because it's almost five. Um, I just want to talk. That's okay, Bobby. I, I love talking to you. I love talking to you. So um, we're going to talk a lot more when we have our events. So um, just so everybody knows, you know, Bobby and I are planning an event at the People's Improv Theater right now. We're going to you're you're going to see the materials change again from April 27th to May 25th. Hopefully, God willing, <laughs> right? Everybody go like this. It's going to stay that date. But, um, you know, one thing that we're going to do at the People's Improv Theater, besides have a ton of fun, is, you know, Bobby's going to talk about some tips for speakers. And I know that um, I have an audience that is very interested in just learning. A lot of them just want to learn the basics of presentation <laughs> skills. I laugh, but I know it's because I love being on stage. So I'm like, whatever. But um, so, <laughs> you know, presentation skills and utilizing and this is where you know i'm a linkedin trainer like my linkedin universe wants to know this question is a lot of them just want to be able to speak to, to present themselves as their yeah. brand right so what um before we get to may 25th and god willing we're going to get there anything you just a tip you want to share with those out there that are like you know small business owners or maybe even students that need to present just a tip on presenting yourself as a you know the basics of speaking. Yeah, I think one of the things that I usually recommend people do is think about your foundation and, you know, what kind of credibility have you created for yourself as you look to present yourself as an expert on a topic? So, you know, do you have a blog? Do you have a website? Do you have a podcast? Are you writing articles for Forbes or putting things on LinkedIn? You need to be able to set, come into these types of opportunities saying, I am an expert and here is the evidence that I am an expert. So, you know, think about what you have created and right now is a great time to work on your foundation, you know, whether it's your book, your blog, your podcast, your articles, whatever it is, you know, you need to be thinking about how you are creating a foundation of expertise that people look at and go, oh, I need to think about calling Bobby because she's an expert on, 
you know, robotics. And so she is the going to be the person we immediately call if we're putting together a panel on that topic. And I I'm love, not, and I'm not an expert on robotics. So I was going to say, Bobby, where's the robot? Oh, this is an example. No, no, I know. I, I hear you. So um, maybe you want to become an expert on robotics. I like robotics. So, so one thing I would add to that, I think it's perfect. I just add one thing to it because, you know, I deal a lot with like the details of personal branding. Yeah. It, think about your skills that support those things. So absolutely. Peel it back a little bit. Look at the skills the skills because the skills are the things that when you are that expert and you are presenting people are going you're going to want to as you grow your speaker career in my opinion i love when people throw tough questions at me I, i'm like bring it on bring it on because that's when you get better as a speaker and at least as a trainer in my opinion so those skills identify what those skills are and then embrace them and hone them and like bobby was saying this is a great time to further develop those skills as well so yeah. I think you need something, you need to be um, presenting the evidence that you are an expert in a topic. You know, I can't go right. off and say I'm an expert in robotics. There's no evidence <laughs> or expertise to support that. <laughs> I love that. Um, so let's talk about, you know, you are similar to me in that you are a female entrepreneur and a leader and a business owner. And it's a lot, you know. So what are some of your secrets for some of your own personal success that you want to share? You know, it's funny. Um, I I kind of have the whole family business thing here going, but I'm lucky in that my husband stayed home with the kids and gave me a lot of flexibility in terms of building my my businesses. So you know, marry well, <laughs> find a good guy, find find a good partner, whatever that is, because you do end up spending a lot of time on your businesses. And, you know, I always, I always tell people that, um, you know, uh, you become an entrepreneur because you like that flexibility. You can work any hundred hours a week you want to. <laughs> you know, Bobby, that's going to be, so when we have our event, I'm definitely going to have a t-shirt that has that and a bumper sticker. We're going to have you <laughs> because it's true. It's like, you could work. People are always like, how do you go to, cause you know, I play hockey. How do you go to hockey in the middle of the day? I'm like, well, I work another hundred hours beyond this one hour at the bank, which is closed right now. But anyway, so um, another question that I ask my warrior women in business is, is, is about values. I think the values are really important. They're extremely important. Um, to be an entrepreneur, you got to have some strong values. So what, let's say one or two values that you really believe in that have helped you through your career. What are some things that you can buy? You know, um, Brad Feld actually has a way of um, uh, talking about this and it's a, it's called the give first. You know, you do things for the good of the community and the good of others and karmic, you know, comes back around. You know, you, you, you get you build up points and you build up goodwill in the community and you know, you benefit from that later on. I love that. What was that movie with the dollar bill, the $20 bill? Did you see this? It was years ago. So there's a movie. I, I can't remember the name, but someone it's about a $20 bill. It's basically a movie about this $20 bill that goes in and out of people's pockets from huh. rich down to the poor. The, the poorless, the homeless, and it kind of floats around and it all started with someone giving. And the whole point is it's the universe and it'll come back to you. So, um, and that's a point of like letting go and being free. And I think that, um, 
I love that you, that's a value because that's something for people to think about, especially right now in this crisis mm. is we have to be that way. Right. We kind of have to think that way and it's a new way of thinking. And I think it's a good way of thinking. So, um, what advice would you give, um, aspiring speakers, aspiring event planners, you know, in terms of um, some things that they can start to do to, to build their businesses. Just a couple of pieces of advice. Yeah, I think practice, practice, practice. The more that you get out there, the more that you speak, even if it's to two people, four people, five people, small groups, you know, right now, those are the best kind of groups. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the more you practice, the better off you get. So when I started Innovation Nights, it was 11 years ago, and I was not the most comfortable of public speakers. I think that first night 11 years ago, I sweated through my clothes. Like if you've ever seen Albert Brooks in broadcast news, you yes, know, like bring a bigger towel and they're like patting him down. It was like, that was me that night. It was just this oh. automatic, like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm going to be speaking. And the more you practice, the more you get comfortable with it, the better off you are. And so the just practice. That's yeah. The thing. Practice, practice. I, I love that because um, as, a, as a speaker and as a musician, I'm constantly practicing. And one thing in both, they're so related. As a singer yeah. and a speaker, they're very, what I do is very related. People are like, how do you do all these things? I'm like, and they're all the same. Same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. I'm just using my mouth and I'm talking. <laughs> but, um, but one thing that I do quite a bit is I, I listen back and I think for speakers, it's really important. I listen to some of my former speeches at the Javits center, which is a nightmare to speak at because you have the yeah. peaking voice and it's a nightmare, but I go and listen to those and watch myself in those mm -hmm. old keynotes that I did. And I look at myself now and I, I see such a difference because I've constantly watched myself and it's, it's not about being critical. It's about practicing. So I think yeah. or watch other people go to school on really great speakers. I mean, my God, oh, yeah. so lucky okay. we have the TED Talks and everything now. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, you know, you can watch some of the best speakers in the world. Yeah. We have access like we've never had it before. But also watching the evening news and seeing how interviews happen and things like that. Just go to school on other people. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a good point. Um, journalism, broadcasting, all of that. And, um, and then making it your own, you yeah. know. Okay, so um, before we go into, we're going to go into a Q&A soon on Facebook Live, which <laughs> Molly is handling over there. Um, hey, Molly. <laughs> what are, what's the best one way for people to get in touch with you? You know, it's funny. I still, I'm still a little bit of a Twitter fiend, you know, so you can follow Twitter. me on Twitter, you know, Women in O or Bobby C, uh, but uh, I'm easy to find, you know, you Google me and up I come. Okay, cool. So, um, so it's a little bit past five. I want to get into Q and A, but before we get into Q and A, um, I want to again just let everybody know that Bobby and I are going to be running an event. It's called Warrior Women in Business Mini Brand You with our co-host Innovation Women, which we're very excited about here in New York City. If you're in Boston, please, it's a quick train ride. I've done it a thousand and a half times. I'm actually down to three three hours and forty five minutes as a drive. Pretty wow. good. Nice. <laughs> so if anybody needs to know how to get between Boston and New York fast, ask. I've done it like 300 times. So we're neighbors. And um, so we're planning this event. And the event is going to be all the warrior women in business 
mini events include education as well as entertainment. So you're going to get, um, we're doing it this, at the People's Improv Theater. You're going to get a taste of improv. You're going to hear some music. We might have um, a reading from a one-woman act a play. And then there's a lot of networking, a beautiful bar. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's all going to be posted on Warrior Women in Business. So just to let you know, May 25th, we're hoping. <laughs> so with that being said, uh, Molly, if you want to go ahead and um, share any questions coming from the audience in the chat window with Bobby, that would be great. Okay. I will also say that I'm super excited about the, um, the whole aspect of improv because it's something that I usually recommend to speakers. They're all like, how do I get better? I'm like, you know what? Take an improv class. Oh. And it's just, you know, like everybody's like, oh, you know, let's do the whole, um, what's that group? Uh, Toastmasters. You know, they're That's like, right. what do you think about Toastmasters? I was like, Toastmasters is great, but improv, improv. Yeah. That's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother deal. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, yeah. I know that we got on a little bit late today, so I don't know if we're going to have any live questions, which is, which is fine. Um, so if we don't have any more, we don't have any more questions. Um, again, Bobby, I want to thank you so much for being on. Yeah, I can't no wait problem. to see you and give you a live <laughs> a hug and not a handshake. I don't Elbow bump. Let's do this. <laughs> elbow bump. Let's do this. We're doing elbow bumps all day. Yes. Um, this is Warrior Women in Business episode 21. We were live with Bobby Carlton, who is going to be here in New York City. We're hoping May 25 for our joint event. She'll be back on. Um, super excited. And hopefully you learned a lot today. I actually know that I did as a speaker and event producer from Bobby. So thank you, Bobby. You've been a plethora of knowledge. Thanks and for having me. Welcome. Stay safe, please, for all of us. Stay healthy. Mm -hmm. To all the Warrior Women in Business fans, to all the Innovation Women fans, please stay safe. Stay healthy, stay healthy so we can see you again. And thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.